Good morning. Uh, I do have handouts if you'd like one this morning. Um, if you, some of you came in before we got here. So, does anyone have a? Would anyone like a handout that does not have a handout? Got some here. Everyone else have one that would like one? All right. Well, I'll leave them up. Rach, if you hold those. At the top is a heart, or uh, close to it, Allie. My uh, third-born, second daughter was helping me uh, draw hearts. I was like, will you help me draw hearts? And she said, Dad, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really know how to draw hearts. <laughs> like the point at the end. And uh, so she did pretty good over for the most part, but some of them are, are a little more circular. So that's all right. That's cute. Uh, so glad she helped, and she was kind of skipping everyone. She's like, I'm going to do... I'm going to do this teal. I'm going to do blue. I was like, well, let's do mother colors, you know. So then she had pink and went grabbing out purple. And uh, so she had a fun time with it. Uh, this handout, I'm going to kind of just be walking through this. We're going to stop at a few passages and look at them in, in whole. Um, the message this morning will be a little different from what I usually do, which is we'll kind of camp on one passage and try to walk through that. Uh, just to, This will give us a little bit of a biblical perspective of what uh, the Bible has to say about mothers. But first, let's start with a, a couple fun stories. Um, I've got two I'd like to share. So, you know, sometimes mothers inadvertently uh, make rules that they later regret. So my mom, she had this rule. Uh, what do you say? Oh, my mom had 10 kids. My wife's trying to, she's trying to help me out here. See, she's not, also, not only a wonderful mother, but a, a great wife. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, my mom had 10 kids, so that's good context. At this moment in the story, there were not 10 kids around. There were five, I think, maybe six. I think just five, though. Um, but we, this is back in the day when we didn't have cell phones, right? You didn't have cell phones. You had a phone. It was connected to a wall. It was connected to a line. If you were fortunate, you had your own line. And if you were extra fortunate, you had a cordless uh, phone in the house, well, we, um, I don't remember if this time we had a party line, which is share with multiple homes so you could pick up and anybody who knows what could be on it, uh, kind of in your area. Um, but for sure we had a quarter phone. And uh, we knew that if mom was on the phone, you can't bother her. You're going to be in trouble if you, if you bother her, right? And so mom was on the phone, and guess what happens? My older brother, I'm, I'm the second of, of 10, I have an older brother. We went into the kitchen, and the kitchen's on fire. Now, you probably think, like, the whole thing's burning up. It's going to get there, but uh, right now there's fire on the counter and, on the to- and in the toaster. Flames are coming up. We're like, oh, no, what do we do? So we do what any child knows best. We run right to mom in her bedroom, knock on the door. Well, excuse me, we go up to knock on the door, and then we remember the spankings. And remember how much trouble we, we get in when mom is on the phone and we interrupt her. So we decide it's not a good idea to knock on the door. So we go into the kitchen, and this is my younger brother, who one of my younger brothers who will go unnamed, started the fire uh, in the kitchen. He put napkins in the toaster. He put his favorite Batman hat in the toaster. I think he put the cape in the toaster as well. And anyway, it's going crazy. Uh, so the counter's burning. Uh, the toaster's burning. So we grab cups of water. We start throwing stuff around. Now the floor is burning because we did that. Eventually, after a few minutes, we put, put everything out. Uh, needless to say, Parts of the kitchen had to be uh, worked on afterward, right? There was plenty of fire damage on that section. Later on, mom's off the phone, and we say, hey, mom, we just want you to know there's a fire in the kitchen, but we put it out. And she's like, 
what? Uh, you know, and then proceeded to lecture us. And still to this day, when we bring it up, tells us that we should have, you know, knocked on the door. It was an emergency. But for us, we knew we were going to get in trouble. So sometimes mom makes, moms make rules and they later regret it because they didn't think through all the angles, right? Okay, what if the house is burning down? Can you be interrupted? Yeah, of course you can. Um, so that was my actual mother. Sometimes this is not my mother. This is a mother figure. Had uh, lived in South Louisiana right out of college and had a number of motherly figures there. Uh, had one uh, one guy who was like my father's age who was a mother to me. And, you know, he'd say, I'm being your mother. And I'd say, please don't do that. Uh, but I had, I had one mama down there. And she, every time she would decide that she'd go on a diet, it was like right after she went to Sam's and bought the big tub of uh, cheese puffs, you know, the little, little balls. And she decided that she needed to go on a diet and that I, had need, I needed to eat all the bad food that she had. All right, so I come over to the house and she's like, Reagan, take this. And then she pulls this big old thing out of the cabinet. She's like, Reagan, take this, take this, take this. I'm like, what are you doing, you know? So she decided that I didn't need to go on a diet when she was going on a diet. So God bless the mothers, right? Uh, no, we, uh, we appreciate mothers. I appreciate mothers. Um, I think that's pretty clear. Let's get a biblical perspective, though, a little biblical perspective of what uh, mothers are about in God's eyes. So let me offer up a prayer the Lord for help us. Uh, Father, we do want to praise you and thank you, uh, Lord, for what you've created. Uh, And we want to recognize that, Lord God, with um, what we see in your word. Pray that, uh, Lord, as we open up your word today, that we can highlight some of those things, Lord, that would uh, be encouraging, would focus on your intention, would be redemptive, point to the work of your son, Lord, the Lord Jesus, Lord. And in a way that's honoring Uh, to you and to mothers, uh, celebrate them, Lord God. Uh, We thank you uh, for this morning and pray that you would guide us in this. In Christ's name, amen. All right, first thing to know, let's turn to this passage, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Where do mothers come from? Hands down, the Bible opens up. Genesis is just loaded. I don't know when we'll ever walk away from it. And maybe you've heard me plenty times. I didn't go back to look at my sermons to see how many times I refer to Genesis. But Kyle, he brought us back to Genesis last week. Um, The foundations of what we see throughout Scripture are laid early on in Genesis. The first 11, 12 chapters for sure, and no doubt the rest of the, the book. But those first 11, 12 chapters are very dense. And so... We learn about motherhood. And let's just read this passage here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female. We'll be focusing on the female side and the mother within that today. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. First point that you see here, Mothers are created in the image of God. The big theological term, Imago Dei. Um, and if you haven't heard that, uh, there you go. It's, uh, I know it's come out a little bit more in at least Christian hip-hop culture. Uh, it's been a little more popularized. Aside from that, Imago Dei is probably something I would hear like in a theology class or a church history class. Not as commonly used, but becoming a little more uh, common in the culture as far as Christianity goes. Uh, you are creating the image of God, mothers. You represent the creator of the universe in a unique way that fathers, that men cannot represent. And we got to call into recognition here that it's, it is male and female made in the image of God. Right? There's not one or the other. And so while it's Mother's Day, we want to celebrate and say, hey, look, yes, mothers created in the image of God. Dignity, value, identity, worth, yours, comes from God. And that's something for all of us, right? We often are looking for something somewhere else. We want recognition. We want acknowledgement. We want to find value in what we do and maybe mothers and how well you mother. Uh, for all of us, there's this, there is definitely a performance level, for whether that be for the athlete, right, how well you do in, in athletics, and if you're in school, in school, in every area of life, our culture kind of is like very focused on performance, right? Chris, talking about his, his mother, wants to see him grow up to be a grown man, you know, uh, you can think, imagine, you know, the success, how proud she would be if she got to see him today, right? Well, is that where her value came from? No. Does, is she proud? When she was able to see him, uh, Chris, when she was able to see you, I have no doubt, right? If she could see you today, would she be proud? Yes. But where does, where does a woman's, where does a mother's value come from? It comes from God, who created her, right? And we, we want to recognize that, that we come from God. He created us. Value and worth come from him. And in motherhood, when you want to know what a true mother is, looks to the nurturing nature of God, goes back to God and look at who he is and how he relates to his people throughout Scripture. And women, you get to emulate that. Mothers, you get to emulate that. Praise God for that. Next point, not only are, are mothers created in the image of God, and right, it's, it's, it's all, all of us here, mothers, women, everyone's created in the image of God. Focus on mothers today. Uh, Kyle's got a message for the men coming up on Father's Day, but... Uh, Mothers reign alongside with God. Look down at verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. This is, this is a rule, reign word. This is, a, a, this is like a kingly word. God is the creator, the Bible tells us very clearly, but like right when we read chapter 1, so as soon as we start reading chapter 1, this verse tells us that God is also a king. How does God tell Adam and Eve that they get to have dominion, that they get to have rule and reign over the earth if he himself doesn't have that authority? 
God has that authority, and he says, okay, you're going to reign too. You're going to rule as well, right? Think about some dignity that's there, some value that's there, nobility. Mothers who know the Lord are children, children of the king, the great king, their creator. Next point. Mothers are part of God's very good creation. And I put in there, finished and without sin. We have Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2. There there is nothing wrong with the world in these two chapters. And so when you look at motherhood, and if uh, you keep reading throughout Genesis, we don't see the first mother until after sin enters into the world. But sin was not a part of God's original design. He didn't create Adam and Eve. He didn't create the world. He didn't create the universe and say, I desire for it to be filled with sin and brokenness and for my image bearers to walk away from me. But that's what happened. God's original design is for it to be good, very good. And he wants Adam and Eve, verse 28 again, he wants them to fill the earth to multiply and to subdue it, have dominion over it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here we see the intention of God that God has for mothers is to create other people who know God. Little people, right? Children. We all trace back to Adam and to Eve. We all trace back to, to one mother. And they trace back, all of us, up to them, trace back to God. We all come from God, right? He's our creator. So mothers, we're going to end with it, but mothers, you're another reason to praise God. Another reason to praise God, right? Now here's the reality. We know that the world is broken, that the world's fallen, that's messed up, right? Kyle reminded us last week, uh, Genesis chapter 3, and if you look at Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 4, and I'll just kind of do a little brief recap, but Adam and Eve disobey God, right? We see Eve at the tree, and Kyle was talking about how Adam seems to be there and is passive. They're both responsible for their sin, while Adam is blamed for uh, is held responsible for the human race, right? He's kind of the focus point. With, with that decision to disobey God and to say, God, you tell us not to eat from this tree, but we decided it's better if I eat from the fruit of that tree. I'm not going to believe you because here's, the dece- here's what Satan wants them to believe. He says, you're not going to die. God knows that when you eat, this is verse 5, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. The temptation was, It's not good enough to to know God, to be with God. It's better to be God. And that's what we try to do with our lives, right? And so let's recognize when we look at motherhood, mothers are broken. Mothers are fallen. Now, again, clarity. That doesn't mean I'm a man standing up here, right? I'm a father. That I'm not broken or fallen. I'm broken. I'm fallen. We're all broken. We're all fallen. God, part of God's plan and what he wanted to do in, in the earth was for motherhood to be good, pure, righteous, holy, for mothers to obey God and to have children that would worship, know, and obey God. But because of that sin, now that chain is broken. We have this brokenness throughout our lives, and God wants to redeem that. He wants to undo the damage. Go to Colossians chapter 1 with me, starting in verse 15. It's a very theologically dense passage uh, we were not going to be able to get through it all. Or we're not going to walk through every concept of it. 
But you'll, you'll get a picture of God's intention to redeem motherhood here. Colossians 1 and verse 15. He is the image, this is talking about Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Not that he was, uh, that Jesus had a time where he never existed, that he was born of Mary, but he is God. This is, I think, primarily talking about his firstborn inheritance. Very common in the Old Testament. For by him all things were created, all things, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus created mothers, and mothers were created for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. While we love mothers, Jesus is the prime one that we focus on, right? And he holds them together. Verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body by body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Motherhood's broken, but it's redeemed through the blood of Jesus. And this is, this is for all of us, right? We've all sinned. Mothers who are in here, I have no doubt that you can think of sin in regard to being a mother. Right? Um, I mean, I, I have the child perspective, thinking of my mom. is like, oh, mom did that wrong. Mom did that wrong. Mom did that wrong. It's not for me to call that out. We can have a, a mother's conference, and the ladies can talk shop about that. I'm not here to call that out, right? But the biblical perspective is mothers have sinned. And before God, that has to be made right. And through God, through Jesus on the cross, him shedding his blood, now there can be peace between mothers and God. Their sins forgiven. Not only that, but look down at verse 22 and verse 23. Not only can they be forgiven, but it says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now mothers can live the life that they were meant to live. When God created everything, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we read about that. And God's design for mothers that he had in, in mind when he looked back at all creation and he says, it's not just good. At the end of chapter 1, he says, it's very good because it was complete. The work was finished. There was no sin that it was in his creation, right? As he's creating. At that, at that point, God looks and says, it's good. Now, Jesus is undoing all the damage that's been done because of sin. Right Now you can be the mother you ought to be. And here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. When you fail, Jesus succeeded. 
You have Jesus' perfect life. And you have forgiveness. Right? There's, there, everybody's walking around looking for, for someone to pay for the wrong that they've done. They're placing the blame. Right? It's your fault. It's not my fault. It's the circumstances' fault. We're always trying to displace the blame. But we all know that that, that will never suffice. The wrong that we've done, we are accountable for. And Jesus says, I bore that wrong. I bore that sin on the cross. I shed my blood. And now it's not just peace here, but it's peace here. Us with God. Mothers, you can have peace with God. Praise God for that, right? And that always translates to peace across with people. You go read Ephesians chapter 2. He, Paul gets into this even more. He's writing to Ephesians, Ephesians the church in Ephesus. Um, is that the, the peace that we have between us and God translates out here, right? And without the peace between us and God, it will never translate out here. So you think of uh, mothers and, their, and the, their wives and their husbands or mothers and their children, mothers and their grandchildren. Like you can have peace that's there. You do some wrong, Jesus is the answer and the solution. And now he enables you to be the mother you were always meant to be. Praise God for that. And throughout this life, God is doing this work in all of us. And mothers, you're no different. God says, I'm going to make you better and better, and I'm going to make you more like me. When I created you in my image, I'm going to transform you to make you more like me. And he wants you to represent him on this earth. In Genesis 1, he says, be fruitful and multiply. I mean, that's literally going to have some babies, right? But the intention behind that is that the be- these babies know Jesus. Right? So your children can know Jesus, but then other people who aren't your children can know Jesus. You can help be a part of the work that God wants to do in the world. So this is my first section I have you see listed there, mothers. Now let's, we're talking godly mothers. What do godly mothers do? What, what does godly motherhood look like? There are many examples throughout Scripture. Let me give you a few. If you go to 1 Samuel, this is a beautiful one here. There was a certain man of Ramathiam, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. A lot of different names, right? Uh, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, of Tohu, son of, I'm going to skip down, boom, verse 2. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penaniah. And in this culture, we don't, we don't know what's going on. Um, the, uh, it, would, it was not uncommon, and I think still to this day, not uncommon for in the Middle East, people have multiple wives. Uh, before we say, hey, this is wrong, sometimes the intention of this could have been the, uh, a brother or uh, a brother would pass away, and so the other brother would take his brother's wife so that he could carry out the descendants and his brother's name so that the, uh, the family line there wouldn't be lost. So we don't, we don't know what's going on exactly, why there's two wives here, but there are two wives. And uh, there's this one lady that the text is focusing on. It's Hannah. She had no children. Verse 3. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to 
Penny, nah, I shouldn't have practiced this a little more, uh, his wife and all the other sons, all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, she has no children, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So she's barren. Hannah's barren. She doesn't have children. And her rival used to provoke her. This probably infers it might be a sister. The biblical text talks about not marrying a sister because of a rivalry that takes place. Uh, so this is a possibility what's going on here. Uh, but it's this, it, the other wife used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Verse 8. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am, am I not more to you than ten sons? It's an interesting question. Uh, after they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. You see her pouring out her emotions here before God in his presence. In verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on my affliction and your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his, of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And then it, I'll, I'll just summarize a little bit. Uh, what happens next is uh, Eli looks at her and sees her murmuring she's she's speaking but her she's not speaking out loud just with moving of her mouth and so he thinks she's drunk she's like no i'm not drunk but there's this there's this turmoil that she's going that's going on inside of her in verse 17 eli says go in peace and the god of israel grant you your petition that you made to him and she said let your servant find favor favor in your eyes and the woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad and then we see God answer her prayer. Right, here's this woman longing to be a mother, longing to have a child, and it happens. And she vows. It's a very interesting thing, and I think it's a very noble, honorable, commendable thing. Uh, we, Hannah, actually the picture of Hannah we see picked up later in the New Testament as we read about uh, the Lord Jesus, as we read about uh, John the Baptist as well. Hannah vows her firstborn child that she'd been longing for, that she didn't have, to the Lord. The Lord gave her a child. Go down to verse 21. Then Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vows. But Hannah didn't go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Hannah intended, vowed to give her son to the service of the Lord. And she was going to follow through with this. And she did follow through with this. And if you see in verse 27, verse 28, she reminds the priest, she says, I was here and I prayed for this child and the Lord gave me my petition. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Godly mothers turn their children over to the Lord in prayer. I think it's a principle we can take from this, right? Your situation probably won't relate to Hannah's. Um, there are women who want to have children and who can't. Sometimes through prayer, sometimes through fasting, the grace of God is really what it is. 
God grants the barren womb children, right? The, the, the woman who couldn't have kids, Lord says, I'll let you have kids. No one's in control of that, right? You can try to have kids, and, and you can't, and God's in control of that. You can try to have kids, and you can have kids. You can not intend to have kids, and, you, and yet you have kids. It, it's all, life is from God. That's his gift. Whatever the situation, he didn't mess up, right? He knew exactly what was going to happen. And life is a good thing. We want to celebrate life. Motherhood is a good thing. We want to celebrate that, right? When God does a work in your heart and your life, though, and your mother, you turn your children over to God. Hannah could have very easily said, hey, I wanted a child, and I'm going to keep him. Even though I said God, it was like this, this heat of the moment in my emotions, right? Oh, Lord, if you just give me a child, I'll, I'll give him to you. I'll let him serve you. No, she meant that. She meant that. She valued, she loved, she worshiped God over her firstborn child. Over that child, right, that would defeat the social stigma that she had. Would defeat the issue that she had with her rival, right? Oh, no, now I have a child. And she said, I'm going to give him to serve the Lord forever. And this is Samuel the prophet, by the way. Right throughout the book of 1 Samuel, we read, a godly man. He feared the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. He prayed for the nation. He is an intercessor. Deep work of prayer for the nation. When they said, we don't want God to be our king. We want a man to rule over us as king. He was outraged. Mama was proud. I have no doubt. Right? But it was at a cost. She said, she had to say, he's not mine. He's the Lord's. Mothers, what a godly thing, what a godly example it is to see you turn your children to the Lord. Your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your aspirations, your vicarious living. I assume women have that problem. I know guys do, um, right? You turn those over and say, God, it's what you want. Right now from the south, here's an issue we have in the south uh, quite often is we don't want our children to go away somewhere far. We want them to stay near to us, right? So there's an issue when God says, go be a missionary in a foreign land and serve me among a people that you don't know in a language you don't speak. Mama might say, no, no, no. You're going to stay near us, right? And there's this, there's this tension, right? No. We gotta, mother, godly mothers turn their children over to the Lord, and they do it with prayer. Uh, I'll just reference this one, 2 Timothy 1.5. Godly mothers hope their children will follow God. This is, we see Timothy's heritage, not only through his, his mother, uh, but also his grandmother who believed the Lord, who knew the Lord. And Paul says, hey, the faith you have, that came from your mom. That came from your grandmother, right? Mothers, godly mothers, you want to see the same thing. You want to see your children follow God the way you do, but one-up you, don't you? You want them to do even more so. Let's go to Proverbs 31. Godly mothers teach their children God's wisdom. This is a beautiful, beautiful proverb. Actually, pre-COVID, J.J. had me come and preach on this passage. So I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Um, We'll start in verse 1 and go through verse 9. We'll read all these verses. The, king, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. I think this might be the, the only proverb in the book of Proverbs that we know is attributed to a woman. 
Here we go. This king says, my mama, she taught me these things. What did she teach him? Verse 2, what are you doing, my son? It's like, hey, listen. What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Let's just chew on each of these for a second, right? Imagine this mama. She's Now, her son's a king, so she was probably a queen. We can guess. We can only imagine who, who the king is. Some people think this uh, is maybe Lemuel, is maybe actually another name for Solomon that Solomon is using here. So maybe this is Solomon. He's talking about his mama, Bathsheba, that David took wrongfully from his friend, not just his friend, his partner, his man who went out to, to bear arms with him. They fought together. David and his son. So you could think through it that way, but maybe it, this is also a, a Gentile, someone who's not from Israel. But they see the God of Israel and they've come to believe in him. Either way, her words are penned down in scripture forever. Do not give your strength to women or your ways to those who destroy kings. This mother, she looked and she observed and, and the wisdom that she'd gained through years is passing down to her son and saying, hey, look, if you're pursuing women... You're going to destroy yourself. And as king, you're not going to rule the way that you should. And as someone who should be following after God, fearing God, obeying his rules, they will pull you away from that. No doubt we know that that was a part of Solomon's great fall. Verse 4, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. She had sat and she had watched justice flee from those who deserved it. And why? Because kings had taken to strong drink and abused their rightful positions. She'd watched that. She'd seen that probably right in front of her, as well as throughout her own nation and other places, and probably perhaps through other lands. She knew that Strong drink, alcohol, liquor were problematic for those in this position. When they were to give justice, they would withhold it. When we walk into a lawyer's office and you see a big old, a big old bottle of liquor and you see a box of cigars, I mean, maybe the cigar is a celebration, you say, it's okay. I, I don't know, this may be my fault. I see a big bottle of liquor, I think that's problematic. You shouldn't have that in the office. You shouldn't be drinking that on the job, right? When you got to go make those big decisions, no, you want God to guide you, right? And here, this mom is passing this wisdom down to her son that he would rule and reign rightfully, right? Verse 6, verse 7, she says, hey, don't use it unjustly. For those who are perishing, why don't instead give the drink to those who are perishing, wine to those in bitter distress, Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. It might just be ironic. It also might be this is actually a good idea. Here, don't use it to pervert justice. Use it to help those who are suffering. Verse 8, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Use your power, use your position, my son, for the good of others. 
for those who need it, for those who can't speak up for themselves because they don't have the position, they don't have the authority, they don't have the right, and God's given that to you. Wise words from a godly woman. It continues, we'll, we'll stop there. So godly mothers teach their children godly wisdom. And last thing I want to I note, godly mothers are not bound to physical motherhood, but they are those who do the will of God. Paul writes, uh, Romans 16, 13, you got there. He writes about uh, how a brother in the Lord at the church in, in Rome was a mother to him as well. We see a picture, right? You don't have to be physical mother to be a mother or motherly figure to someone else. But then Jesus, the crowds come up to Jesus. He's speaking. They, they say, hey, oh, we got your mother and your brothers and your sisters. They're out here. They're looking for you, trying to find you. And Jesus looks around. And he says, who are my mother? Or who is, who is my mother? Who are my mother, my brothers, my sisters? But those who do the will of God. Right? Motherhood is not all just I, you, have, you have children. We know some mothers, they don't have children. Right? I know a lady uh, in Iowa, she has lots of, God, of children, spiritual children, but she has no physical children. And years ago, she was wrestling with uh, the Lord, saying, Lord, give me a child. Probably not unlike Hannah. And the Lord said, no. I will not give you physical children. I will give you spiritual children. Right? And that... Now, this is not written down. God didn't write a book and give it to her like that. But as she's praying and processing with the Lord, that's what she sensed the Lord was uh, telling her. And as you look at her today, she has all these spiritual children gathered around her. And she's a proud mama. Right? So you can be a mother physically. You can be a mother spiritually. And if you're one or the other or both, look down at verse this last point I have on the, on the, uh, the handout, Proverbs 31, 28, toward the end of the proverb, says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Just pause with that children part. You got spiritual children, you got physical children, godly mother, your children will rise up and call you blessed. And if for some reason your physical children don't because they don't know the Lord, the Lord will bless you. When you meet the Lord, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, good and faithful mother. So as we we just look at this, let's recognize mothers are another reason to praise God, right? And wherever you are, the Lord wants to work in your life to make you the mother that you should be. And ladies who aren't mothers yet, right? And I don't know everybody's situation, Lord knows your future, but the intention is for you to be either physical or, if not physical, spiritual mothers, right? To help train the younger women. When you see uh, a son in the Lord, to redirect him, right? Because, man, we know sometimes we don't listen to other men. Sometimes we don't listen to our dads or our fatherly figures. But when the mama speaks, you listen, right? Moms, I know you think we don't, we don't listen. I'm sure we don't listen all the time. But your words carry a lot of weight. Right? And it's a part of God's design that there would be the mother and the father. And both together would create more children who are following after God in the world. God does that, and he's doing that physically, and he's doing that spiritually. So today, as you think of your mothers, let's remember where they come from, from God. They really are another reason to praise God. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for mothers. And uh, Lord, we want to focus on them rightly, and it's appropriate to celebrate, uh, Lord God, your work uh, through them, Lord God, the physical mothers, the spiritual mothers. We praise you for them. No doubt, Lord, we have uh, many fond memories of our mothers and or our motherly figures in our lives. And we just want to pause and say, that's from your hand, Lord God. You created all things good. And even though, Lord, we look around and we know that not all things are good, things are broken, things are messed up, we recognize that within. And we look out and we, I have no doubt, have issues with our mothers or motherly figures. Lord, we know that you are doing a work in their hearts and their lives and changing them. And there is forgiveness. There is restoration. Uh, there is now this right focus, Lord, that they can have in Jesus. And we praise you for that. And Lord, when we see them change according to your plan, conform to your will, obey you, Lord, we praise you for that. You use them in our lives. And no doubt, Lord, here in our community, in Radius and in Dubuque, Lord, we need mothers who follow your design. We need mothers who know you, who are godly, Lord God, can be uh, godly mothers to their children as well as godly mother figures to the kids that come into our midst, Lord. So we pray, Lord, just for the mothers now and those to come uh, in the years ahead, Lord, that you would raise them up to be godly women after your own heart that pray before you, Lord God. And whether it's their children or their spiritual children, Lord, that they would turn these children over to you. And we know, Lord God, that when we get to heaven, that there'll be lots of testimony of the work that you did through prayer, uh, through these mothers, to save children, to save people, to restore families, restore marriages, for your word to be heard, Lord God, for their children to come to church, for you to continue the work that you desire to do in their hearts and their lives. Lord, in that moment, that day, we know we will praise you for them fully, rightfully. Right now, we pray that today we would celebrate them, Lord, and that we would praise you because of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.